approaches the summer movie season every year with a feeling of exhaustion. It's my job to watch everything and have opinions on all of it, and there's no season in which that's more tiring than the summer, with a tentpole release nearly every weekend that is big, loud, and large, and requires me to review an entire history of prequels or universes just to figure out what's going on. But I still walk into each screening with a lot of hope in my heart, and a little bit of excitement, too. Why all this optimism? Humans need routines. They're built into nature, with changing seasons that we could feel on our very skin. Religions have weekly holy days and yearly seasons of celebration, repentance, and ordinary working times. Modern, secularized calendars have them, too. While many Americans no longer live by an agricultural calendar, with spring sowing and fall harvest— A sort of internal calendar is still bred into us from our earliest years by the nationwide school system. Even glossy women's magazines have an institutionalized schedule, featuring extra-thick issues for fall fashion and the inevitable bikini season late spring specials. The movie release calendar settled into a routine decades ago. Fall is for prestige releases, winter and early spring for a smattering of smaller and sometimes less ambitious offerings, and summer for blockbusters. That this calendar is driven largely by profit motives is obvious. Prestige films come out in the fall to maximize award season potential. Winter and early spring movies try to capture a cold season of indoor entertainment, and summer motives aim to capitalize on vacations, holidays, and days off. But market ties don't mitigate the movie calendar's cultural rhythm, and it's one that syncs up surprisingly well with the rest of the year. Since we were kids, fall was when we buckled down and got to work. It feels like the right time to go see some serious movies, and maybe let loose with an odd studio comedy or two. In the wet, cold days of early winter, hungover from the holidays and awards season solemnity, we're ready for a romance, or a B-movie, or a horror film. And in the summer, as soon as warm weather rolls around, a little buzzer goes off in our heads. Time to kick back and rest, even at the movies. For a lot of people, that means indulging in nostalgia. Something about summer makes everyone feel a bit like a kid again. So we end up with a slateful of reboots and sequels, of movies based on beloved books and comics, and, these days, of re-released movies we loved decades ago, even movies about sexy robots. Those nostalgia flicks are mixed with a healthy dose of history, horror, comedies, and the occasional original film, too. Plenty of this summer's films will be bad. Some will be completely unimaginative. Some are just blatant money grabs without much to offer in the way of connection. Some will destroy rather than celebrate the nostalgic impulse. Nothing is immune from criticism. But just because a movie is lightweight or doesn't try to say anything about the current situation doesn't make it bad. A movie without a symbolic message can still make us cry, laugh, and remember what makes us human. When everyone's scrolling through Twitter and risking issue fatigue, movies can help transport us for a while and refresh our perspective. Back in 1993, the novelist David Foster Wallace, who was also one of the best media critics of his time, spoke with interviewer Larry McCaffrey about what he thought fiction was supposed to do in what Wallace called dark times and stupid ones. In dark times, 
the definition of good art would seem to be art that locates and applies CPR to those elements of what's human and magical that still live and glow despite the time's darkness, Wallace said. Really good fiction could have as dark a worldview as it wished, but it'd find a way both to depict this world and to illuminate the possibilities for being alive and human in it. McCaffrey asked if Wallace meant that writers were obligated to not just depict our condition, but also to provide the solutions to those things. Wallace disagreed. It's a long block of text, but one worth reading. I don't think I'm talking about conventionally political or social action-type solutions. That's not what fiction's about. Fiction's about what it is to be a fucking human being. If you operate, which most of us do, from the premise that there are things about the contemporary U.S. that make it distinctively hard to be a real human being, then maybe half of fiction's job is to dramatize what it is that makes it tough. The other half is...